Hey there, and welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Timberlake Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Our mission is to reach, feed, and release people to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You can learn more at our website, TimberlakeUMC.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. In the year 1709, John Wesley was five years old, and his house caught on fire. This was the Epworth Rectory, which we would call the Parsonage, because his dad, Samuel, was the pastor at their church. And so the Parsonage, where the family lived, uh, Samuel and Susanna Wesley and all these children, many of the children, it, it caught on fire. And it was a bad fire. Imagine houses built in the late 16, early 1700s, mostly sticks and wood, right, and a thatched roof. And so it didn't take long for the fire to spread throughout the house. And everyone got out safe except young John, five-year-old John. And he was in the second-story window leaning out and calling for help. And his dad, the pastor, thought, well, you know, my son is done for. He was heartbroken. He was crushed. And so he went over across the way, and he fell on his knees, and he began to pray for his son's salvation. And some of the neighbor men, they saw the commotion. They heard it, and they came over, and they said, Preacher, what are you doing? There's time for praying and there's time for acting. And now's the time for acting. And they stacked themselves up on one another's shoulders and they reached up to the second floor and they pulled young John, five-year-old John, out of the burning house and they saved his life. They saved his life. It's a true story. And John, as an adult, would look back on that day and he referred to himself as a brand plucked from the burning. A brand plucked from the burning. You know what a brand is, don't you? The kind of thing, you metal poker, you stick in the hot fire, and you heat it up and heat it up and heat it up, and then you put your, your mark, right? You leave your, your insignia on a piece of wood or on a cow's hide, right? And so Wesley believed that God had saved him so that he could leave a mark on a generation, that he could leave a mark, that he could make a difference, that he could make an impact. He believed that God saved him from that fire for a reason, that God has a purpose for his life. And I wonder if you believe the same thing about yourself, that God has a purpose for your life. And I wonder if you believe the same thing about this church, that God has a purpose for this church that we might be pulled out of the fires of destruction and into the fires of faith, that we might be a brand plucked from the burning, that we might leave our mark on a generation. Friends, welcome to the last week of our series. It's called Foundations. We're talking during these four Sundays about what it means to be Wesleyan, what it means to be inheritors of this biblical tradition of following after the way the teachings of an Anglican priest named John Wesley and those men and women who have come after him. And so we are digging deep into the Scripture to understand our particular orientation to God and to God's Word. And we have three goals for this series. And the first one is to understand what we believe. For some of us to be reminded of it and to, to affirm that this is who we are as people of faith. Secondly, to include those of you who are new to Timberlake to orient you to what we believe as a church so that you can know what you're getting into and you can say, okay, yes, great. I believe that too, and I want to be a part of a church that thinks that way about God. And thirdly, the third purpose of this series is to confirm that these things are not changing. 
that even as we disaffiliate from the United Methodist denomination, our faith in Jesus is not changing, and our theological orientation, our way of talking about God and thinking about God and encountering God, these things are not changing. We are strengthening them and building on our foundations. So we've covered a lot in this series. Just to briefly recap, we've talked about grace about justification and sanctification, about biblical authority, about the new birth, about being born again. We've talked about worship and the sacraments of baptism and communion and the importance of coming to the table as often as we can. We talked last week about group discipleship, about meeting in groups, what Wesley called classes and bands that we called life groups, and about holiness and about the idea that we are becoming more like Jesus. Today I want to talk with you about these last three ideas, mission, and ministry with the poor, and evangelism. Okay, so when you think about, or people ask you, what do y'all believe over there at Timberlake? Here's a list of things that we believe, and ways that we think about God, and these last three are the ones we're going to cover today. Mission, ministry with the poor, and evangelism. Now, these are incredibly biblical ideas. They are rooted in the Scripture, and the Scripture that was read for us just now, we're going to read again and unpack a little bit. You find all three of these Wesleyan theological ideas is in these two verses, and I want you to see how this works. Okay, so this is, these are words that were preached by Jesus, and this is his first sermon. As Christine said for us, Jesus went out into the desert for how long? Forty days, and he fasted and he prayed, which, by the way, is the basis, the biblical basis for the church's practice of Lent, right? Is Jesus took 40 days to fast and pray, so we take 40 days to fast and pray and to prepare ourselves for the crucifixion and the resurrection of our Lord. And so that starts Wednesday, and I hope you'll join me um, on Wednesday and in this season to come. So Jesus has gone out in the desert, and he fasted and prayed, and he came back, and now he's preaching his inaugural sermon. This is his first sermon, and he takes the scroll from the prophet Isaiah, and he reads it out loud, and he gives a message. Now, the word was starting to spread about Jesus. People were starting to hear about this guy and say, maybe he's the one, maybe he's the Messiah, and so they began to gather in large numbers at the synagogue to hear him preach and hear him teach, and here he is giving his first sermon. Now, if you were giving your first sermon, I want you to think about the significance of that. Think about the significance of your first message, your inaugural address. What's that about? Well, you're going to introduce yourself, right? You're going to say, this is what I'm about. This is who I am. This is the kind of thing I'm going to be focused on. Here's my mission. Here's my focus. Here's what I'm all about. And you're invited to come and be a part of what I'm all about. So this is what Jesus is sharing in his first sermon in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 19. And Jesus says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, what I want you to notice in this, friends, are these Wesleyan theological ideas right here in these two verses, these words of our Lord Jesus. Mission. Do you notice mission in here? Jesus is saying right away, this is why I've come. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. The Spirit is sending me to proclaim the good news. When we use the word gospel, friends, that's what we mean. The gospel means the good news of Jesus. That is why Jesus came to earth, to share the good news of the gospel, that through him we may be saved. That's his mission. Notice also ministry with the poor. He says real plainly, I have come to bring good news to the poor. 
Release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. Okay, so there's a, there's a physical dimension of this, right? Some of us have lived with literal material poverty, and the good news of Jesus is for you. Some of us have never been materially poor, but we've all been spiritually poor, haven't we? We've all had seasons of our life when we were alone or sad or grieving, and Jesus says, my good news is for you, you who are spiritually poor. And then finally, notice the thread of evangelism, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to announce the good news of God to all the world, to proclaim it by word and by deed. Friends, that is evangelism. That is evangelism, to proclaim the good news of the gospel by word and by deed. And so all these things, here we have these three Wesleyan emphases, Mission, ministry with the poor, and evangelism. What I want to do is take each of those briefly and kind of dig deeper historically, theologically into each of these Wesleyan ideas rooted in the Scripture and see what we might learn together uh, for the sake of our ministry at Timberlake because these ideas should be guiding what we do and how we live. So first, let's start with mission. Churches in the Wesleyan tradition have a strong sense of mission. And if you've ever been a part of other churches in the Wesleyan tradition, then you may know what I'm talking about, that churches that are true to our heritage, we care about our neighbors. We have a sense of purpose to serve the other. I want you to know a little bit about John Wesley's context. He was a priest in the Church of England in the 1700s. And at that time, the Church of England had grown into a very large, cumbersome institution. It was a very big structure with a lot of wealth and some, maybe even some political influence, but apparently very little ability to influence people in the way of Jesus. Now, does that remind you of any church institutions in our day? Right. So follow with me here. The, the, his, his experience and his context is very similar to our own. Wesley looked around and he saw dying churches. Wesley looked around and he saw dying congregations and he saw ineffective pastors and he saw apathetic Christians who said they believed in Jesus but didn't really live any different than anyone else in their community. He saw people who came to church to get baptized but never came back to church ever again. And he said, well, this isn't good. We got to do something about this. And so he started something new. In the power of the Spirit, Wesley began to reform the church. One of the things I need you to understand about who you are and who we are in our Wesleyan heritage is that we come from a long line of reformers, friends. Our history is a history of reformation. Look at the word reformation. What does it mean to reform? Well, what does the prefix re mean? Do you know? Again, to do it again. So to reform is to form again, right? To improve, to grow, to, to shape, to transform. And in our case, to reform into the image, not of self, but of Christ, right? That's what reformation is, is we are forming into the image of Christ. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the new birth. We talked about what it means to be born again. And so what I want to suggest to you is the same way that a person is born again, a church is reformed. The same kind of transformation and change that happens in the life of a soul, a person, when you are in Christ and you are born again is the same kind of new birth that a whole congregation can have, and we call it reformation. We call it reformation. 
In our history, there are two Reformations that I want you to think about, the Protestant Reformation and the Wesleyan Reformation, okay? Uh, Real briefly, a little history here. The Protestant Reformation started in the early 1500s when a Catholic priest named Martin Luther got fed up with the church and all the shenanigans of the church and the excesses and and the misdirection of the leaders of the church. And he walked up to the church door at a place called Wittenberg, and he had all his demands. They're called his 95 Theses, and he wrote down everything that he thought was wrong with the church and the sins of man, the sins of humans, and he nailed it to the church door. And he said, this is the deal. Y'all need to fix this. We need to fix this. This is not good. And so Luther pushed back. Friends, the church was doing things that we would consider unconscionable. They were neglecting their mission. They were selling salvation to people. They would say, hey, um, if you come bring $10 to the church, we'll make sure your Aunt Sally goes to heaven. Right? And we laugh because that's so ridiculous, but they believed that and they did that. And that is, that is the worst kind of malpractice, isn't it? Because you are misleading people in the ways of Jesus and not telling them the truth that salvation is not to be purchased by human beings. It's already been paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. All you have to do is receive it. And so Luther and others rightly push back. What is the root word of the word Protestant? Protest. Friends, never forget, you come from a long line of protesters. Do not sit idly by while things around you fall apart. Your job is to push back. Your job is to protest. Your job is to say, excuse me, excuse me, I beg to differ. That is not from God. This is from God. Friends, we are Protestants. Our job and our history and our heritage is to push back against the sins of man and to lift up the ways of Jesus Christ. What are some of our Protestant beliefs, some of the things that we affirm as Protestants? Well, let me share a couple of with you. Uh, The idea of salvation by faith alone, not by works, not by your good effort or my good effort, but only by the grace of God. The primacy of Scripture, the authority of the Bible for our lives. This is a Protestant emphasis. The centrality of preaching, right? Every time we gather for worship, there is a word, and sometimes it looks like this, other times it takes other forms, but we always proclaim the word of God. And finally, an idea that is dear, dear to our hearts, and that is an, an idea called the priesthood of all believers. You've heard this idea before? The priesthood of all believers. Everybody say that with me. Ready? The priesthood of all believers. What that means is every person, by virtue of your baptism, you are a priest. There's not just one priest in this room. There are hundreds. And who is a priest? A priest is someone who connects people to God. A priest is someone who connects people to God. And whose job is it to connect people out there to God? Yours. Yours, right? This is where you point to yourself and say, it's me, it's me. Right. All of us, we are all priests. We are all ministers of the gospel. That is a strongly Protestant idea and something we claim. Now, that was the 1500s. 200 years later, fast forward, along comes this Anglican priest named John Wesley. He starts a Reformation movement of his own. He responds to the excesses and the institutionalism of the church by calling people to deeper discipleship. And he begins to gather them in groups. Remember from last week what he called them? Classes and bands, right? We call them life groups, right? Same idea. 
Same idea. He uh, called on people to read their Bibles, and he told them to pray, and he gathered with them at the Lord's table as often as they could, and he, he sent them out to visit prisoners and to clothe the naked and to heal the sick. And when he got little support from the denominational authorities to do that, he said, you know what? The world is my parish. They said, oh, John, John, your parish is right here. You just serve this little community. And he said, excuse me, the world is my parish. Everyone in the world needs Jesus. You know, he got a lot of pushback for spending so much of his time trying to reach new people instead of just taking care of the people who are already there. And John pushed back on that, and the movement grew, and the movement grew. When Wesley was criticized by his boss, the bishop, um, he, he said, you know what, I'm going to go out there and preach the gospel. And they said, well, you need to stay in the pulpit. And he said, no, I'm not going to go in the pulpit. I'm going to go out into the world, and I'm going to preach in the farmer's fields and in the city streets. This is what he said his mission was for this Wesleyan movement that he was a part of. He said, our mission is to reform the nation, especially the church, and to spread scriptural holiness throughout the land. To reform the nation, especially the church, and to spread scriptural holiness throughout the land. Now, friends, I want you to understand this. This was Wesley's goal, to reform. Wesley never set out to start a new church. He never set out to start a new denomination. Just like none of us gathered five or six years ago and said, hey, you know what would be great is if we withdrew from the United Methodist Church. That conversation never happened. No one ever said, wouldn't that be good years and years ago? What we said was, we want to reform this church. We want to reform our movement. We want to reform our hearts so that my heart is close to God's heart, so that this church can grow up in faith, that we can become the mature followers of Jesus that we are called to be. And each step along the way, what we noticed is the more we reformed, the less we looked like the structure and the institution that was surrounding us. And we began to move away, not by our choice, but by the Spirit's leading and so what I want to suggest to you today is in, in the same Wesleyan tradition that we are a part of, us withdrawing from this broken institution and denomination is one of the most Wesleyan things that we could have done, Amen. is to go in the way of the Spirit, not the way of man. Friends, God is leading us. God is blessing us. To be Wesleyan is to be focused on the mission. It's also to be in ministry with the poor to be Wesleyan is to concern ourselves with bringing release to the captives, sight to the blind, comfort for widows, houses for orphans, clothes for the naked, food for the hungry. Do you know this? One of the things John Wesley used to do, he would go house to house in rich neighborhoods and he would say, excuse me, I'm John. I'm here to ask for money from you and I'm going to go spend it on the needs of the poor. And he would take money from the rich. Who gave it willingly? He didn't steal it. Not like Robin Hood or something, but... He would say, may I please have some of your wealth? And he would then go take it, and he would buy bread for people who didn't have bread, right? That is the Wesleyan tradition that we are a part of, friends, is to pool the resources of those who have wealth and to share it with our neighbors who do not. We are in ministry with the poor. And what I want you to notice with me is the, is the shift that happens when you start with charity, but you end up with community. 
Okay? Charity and community. Both are good things. Charity is someone has a need and you meet the need, right? And they feel good because they, they have what they need and you feel good because you were able to help someone. And that's good. I'm not criticizing that. What I'm saying is that's a starting point, right? Because with charity, then the person who received, they go on and live their life and you go on and you're, live your life. And there's not necessarily a real connection that's been made. But what happens when you not only give a loaf of bread, but you give a hand for a handshake, and you bring in for a hug, and you actually make friends with the person that you are helping or who is helping you? What happens when we, go, we set to give out soup or sandwiches to people, and they receive it with gratitude, but then they also start coming to worship in this church, and they get in your life group, and they come to the table to eat with us. Do you see? We've moved now from charity to community, and that's happening right now in this ministry as we speak. There are people who first came to this church campus to receive some material blessing that they needed just to make it through the day, and they have become a part of this congregation. And they're coming to be in our life group, and they're worshiping with us. They're being baptized, and they're coming to the table to be fed at the Lord's table. Friends, this is the vision. This is God's vision for heaven on earth, is it not? It's not us and them, it's we. And pretty soon you realize there's not any difference between my neighbor and me. We all have the same needs. Maybe I have a few more material resources than they do. Guess what? That means I need to share, right? And we realize not only do you share, but then you also you receive something as well as give. You ever set out to give to someone? Say, I'm going to bless so-and-so today. And you go and, and you try to bless them and you realize, oh, I received the blessing today. That's how it works in God's economy, right? That, that's, that's kingdom economy. Friends, this is what it looks like to have ministry with the poor. Evangelism. John Wesley was passionate about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and when people didn't come to church, he went to them. And so, as I mentioned, he went to the farmer's fields, and he went to the city streets, and his peers, the other Anglican priests around him and the bishops, they were like, John, that's beneath you, man. We don't do that. You know, you wear your robe. You stand in the pulpit. You don't go out into the city street. And he said, yeah, but that's where the people are who need Jesus. And so I'm going out to where they are. And John famously said, I submitted to be more vile. I submitted to be more vile, meaning he would make himself as low as he needed to make himself in order to reach the lost people of his community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he preached, and he preached far and wide. John Wesley traveled 4,000 miles a year on his horse preaching in place to place, and by the time he died at age 87, he had preached 40,000 sermons. 40,000 sermons in a lifetime. Friends, as Wesleyans, we care about the salvation of our neighbors. And so just like John Wesley, Jesus is sending us, his children, out into the world to spread the gospel. I love what Wesley said about just a handful of people who are willing to share the gospel. They can change the world. This is what Wesley said. He said, give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. And I care not whether they be pastors or lay persons. They alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. Do you see this, friends? <laughs> The impact that this church will make on the salvation of our neighbors is not based on the excellence of the preacher. It is based on the willingness of the preachers. You are the ministers of the gospel. Amen. 
And I can get up here every week and I can carry on and I can say things and you can nod and say amen or not. That's not going to make any difference unless you go out today and every day this week and share the good news of Jesus with the people in your home and in your neighborhood and in your place of work who are hurting, who need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, I believe there is a reform movement happening. I believe that we are part of it. If you follow the news, you know something is happening right now in Wilmore, Kentucky, at a Wesleyan school, hello, called Asbury, where young people have been in continuous worship for over a week now, gathering at the chapel to praise God, and they're spilling out from that place, and they're going into the world, and people are coming from all around the world into that place. There is a revival happening. There is a revival happening in the world, and I sense it here at Timberlake. This is our year, friends. 2023 is our year. You saw the witness of the Holy Spirit of dozens of people who came up in front earlier to say, I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of what God is doing. Friends, I'm so excited to be on this journey with you. I'm so excited to see what God can do. I'm so proud to be part of a church called Timberlake. Let God's people say amen.